You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. Good morning, Village. This morning, I'll be reading from Acts 2, verse 42 to 47. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all, as any had need. Every day, they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved." Thank you. You can all have a seat. Um, So, uh, as I mentioned, we are continuing our sermon series titled Formed, in which we are examining different habits that Christians are to engage in, and these habits, they've helped to form us. They change us, and they mold us into who God created us to be, and uh, God didn't just save us just so that we would stay the same, but he saved us so that we would grow and mature and change. And so that's what we're talking about. And one of the ways he forms us is through uh, experiences that we go through. But one of the ways he forms us is through these habits and these rhythms that we participate in. And so we talked about singing, scripture, prayer. And today we're talking about relationships. So before we dive in, I'll pray and then um, we'll, we'll launch in. Father God, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for um, your desire to form us and your desire to mold us. Um, into who you want us to be. Um, This original vision that you had uh, when you first created us to be your image bearers, to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth, that that vision carries on today, that we are making disciples and we are bearing fruit and we are changing the world. And so we pray that uh, we would experience a little bit of a glimpse today of what that looks like in our own lives. I also want to lift up... um, uh, I just want to pray for those of us who are Americans uh, in thanksgiving to those who have given their lives to our country, for our country, this Memorial Day weekend. Uh, we remember that, uh, and we are th- so thankful that we have a place of worship. Uh, we also uh, are reminded of the fact that Jesus uh, gave his life as well, so that we would be free. And so we pray that throughout this weekend we would be reminded of that glorious truth that we've been set free by Jesus who died. Um, We pray for this time, uh, that you would bless it, help us to learn more about you, to know you more. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In 2017, uh, Dr. Vivek Murphy, the former U.S. Surgeon General, said, During my years caring for patients, the most common pathology I saw was not heart disease or diabetes. It was loneliness. Loneliness and weak social connections are associated with a reduction in lifespan similar to that caused by smoking 15 cigarettes a day and even greater than that associated with obesity. There's been a ton of research uh, recently on this topic uh, that loneliness isn't just a feeling that you have in your mind, but it actually physically alters the chemicals in the body. Here's another quote. This is by Dr. Steve Cole the director of the Social Genomics Laboratory at UCLA, said this, loneliness acts as a fertilizer for other diseases. 
The biology of loneliness can accelerate the buildup of plaque in arteries, help cancer cells grow and spread, and promote inflammation in the brain, leading to Alzheimer's disease. Loneliness promotes different types of wear and tear on the body. It's really fascinating stuff, some of this research, and uh, you might wonder, how is it possible that loneliness can impact us so much? Well, of course, there are biological and psychological uh, reasons that we can explore, but uh, we're going to temporarily explore some of the spiritual reasons involved, because as Christians, we understand that God originally wired us for community, for relationship, for belonging, and we see this, for example, in the creation narrative in Genesis, where God repeatedly, he creates things, and he calls them good, but then in Genesis 2.18, God points out something for the first time that wasn't good. He says, it is not good that the man should be alone. You see, God recognized that there is one thing in his creation up at that point that wasn't good, and that was isolation. And so what God did was he created a woman to accompany the man, to be a, a, a companion. And several laters, we see this line that's now often repeated at weddings. It goes in Genesis 2.24, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. This idea of becoming one flesh means that you have two different individuals. They have different preferences, different desires, different personalities, and they are committing now to be one. They are committing to one another and belonging to one another. Now, in this context of Genesis 2, this is talking about marriage. But I think the principle can apply to more than just marriage. And this principle is that God has designed us so that we often feel like things are not right, things are not good when we are by ourselves, when we are isolated from one another. But when we join together with another person or with a group, then we experience a sense of belonging. We experience this oneness, this one fleshness. We experience a sense of wholeness. And this is true of marriage, but this is also true, I think, of friendship. This is true of family. This is true of community, as they were originally designed. Unfortunately, when sin came into the world, the sense of belonging was lost. And it's been this thing that we've, this thing inside of us always wants, but we could never have, and never fully experience. And as a result, oftentimes our relationships are characterized by strife, betrayal, or loneliness. Fast forward to Jesus, and then we see this, uh, a glimpse of what this true community, this true oneness looks like again. I love Jesus' prayer on behalf of the church. It's in, uh, it's in John 17, 21 to 23, and he says, May they, this is talking about his disciples, may they all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me, so that they may be one as we are one. I'm in them and you are in me, so that they may be made completely one, that the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. So Jesus prays that the church will be one, just as the Father and the Son are one. And this is amazing because the Father and the Son, they have a, uh, they have a Trinitarian relationship. In Christian lingo, when we use the term Trinity, we say there is one God existing in three persons. And that is the perfect picture of family. That's the perfect picture of belonging, the perfect picture of harmony and relationship. And that is why we need belonging too, because we were made in God's image. We were created in God's image, and we inherited a little bit of this Trinitarian dynamic in that it is just as it's not good for God to be alone, that's why he's a Trinity, that's his essence, so it is not good for us to be alone, and we need essentially to be in this 
relationship with other people. And so everybody is looking for belonging, right? It's wired in us. And according to Jesus, the, the one place where we should be able to find belonging, the one place where we should be able to experience this oneness is the church. He says that our oneness should cause other people to believe in the gospel. In other words, people should look at the oneness of the church and they go, man, these people, they have something that I'm looking for. They love one another. They support one another. They advocate for one another. They're committed to one another. They belong to one another. That is the oneness that I am missing in my life, and that's what I need. I want to be a part of this too. And this oneness of the church is also highlighted by the Apostle Paul. He writes this in a few places in 1 Corinthians and Romans, but he talks about how the church is one body with many members. So do you see this connection, right? We see this all over the place. In the Trinity, you have three persons, but one God. In marriage, you have two people, but one flesh. In the church, you have many people, but one body. In all of these cases, the foundation is the same. It, it, it is not good for us to be alone, and therefore, we need to belong to one another and experience this oneness. But unfortunately, loneliness is like an epidemic. It has infiltrated our society, and it seems like the more society progresses and the more free and independent we become as a culture, as a civilization, the more loneliness spreads. Um, in the year 2000, the Harvard professor Robert Putnam, he wrote this fascinating book called Bowling Alone, in which he talks about America's uh, decline in social interaction over the last uh, third of the 20th century. And he writes this, uh, for the first uh, for the first two-thirds of the 20th century, a powerful tide bore Americans into an ever-deeper engagement in the life of their communities. But a few decades ago, silently, without warning, that tide reversed, and we were overtaken by a treacherous rip current. Without our first noticing, we have been pulled apart from one another and from our communities over the last third of the century. And it goes on to show in this book that local churches, parent-teacher associations, Military, veterans associations, bowling leagues, boys, all of these things, all of these were traditional places where people found societal belonging. They have drastically been declining in membership. The fabric, the social fabric of our country has been torn apart and people are becoming more and more isolated from one another and there has been a drastic shift toward personal independence and toward self-isolation. And since that book was written, that was 2000, okay, I think that trend has definitely increased because of two major developments, or because of a lot of major developments, but two of them are really important. One is the revolution of the internet. Now, I'm not anti-internet. The internet's great, okay? I love the internet. But the internet has brought about many things in regards to how we interact with one another. So, for example, instead of hanging out with friends, oftentimes, we observe what our friends are doing on social media. Or instead of having meetings with coworkers, we sit with muted microphones on our Zoom meetings. Or instead of uh, going to a movie theater with the family, we sit at home by ourselves watching Netflix. Or instead of eating out at a restaurant, we order, uh, put in an order through Grubhub or Uber Eats, and we eat by ourselves. Okay, so the internet has done amazing things for society, of course, but it's undeniable that it has also made us more socially isolated from one another, while giving us the, the false impression that we're actually more connected. And the second major development, of course, is the COVID-19 pandemic. Several studies have shown that loneliness has been on the rise over the past two years. Uh, the COVID-19 pandemic has accelerated 
this already existing trend towards social isolation, and it has made us less reliant on people and more reliant on devices. You know, many of us, we've uh, forgotten, we're two and a half years in now, uh, many of us have forgotten how to build relationships at all. Uh, And even worse, many of us have deceived ourselves into thinking, you know, I've done just fine without relationships these past two and a half years. I don't need relationships the way I thought I did. And I'm not just talking about, you know, people out there in the world. I'm talking about the church. Um, There was a recent survey conducted by LifeWay Research and revealed that 65% of Americans agreed with this following statement, I can walk with God without other believers. I can walk with God without other believers and Respondents were asked, do you agree with that statement? And 65% actually said yes. Perhaps, for perhaps the first time in church history, we have large numbers of people who call themselves followers of Jesus, but they are not in meaningful relationships with other followers of Jesus. This is sort of unprecedented. We've never experienced this before in church history. Churches, uh, Christians throughout history, they assumed that being a follower of Jesus means you were in meaningful relationship with other followers of Jesus. But we have, I run into people all the time now, and they would call themselves Christians, they would call themselves followers of Jesus. They would even sometimes pray on their own, read the Bible on their own, but they're not in meaningful relationships with other Christians. They, and as a result, we are, as a country, I think, depriving ourselves of tremendous opportunities for growth and discipleship. So what can we do about it? Well, um, let's take a look at this passage that Kira read uh, in Acts 2, 42 to 47. I think there's a few things we can pick up. Now, uh, but before we get there, I want to set the stage a little bit. So this is Acts chapter 2. Uh, this is about 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead. And he's ascending to heaven now. And so this is the, the church is brand new. Peter just preached this amazing sermon uh, on, uh, this, on Pentecost. And 3,000 people of different cultures and languages, decide to trust in Jesus, and they join the church. So you have this brand new church. It's grown from about, about a few hundred to about 3,000 in the span of one day. Different, but let's see what happened. Verse 42, I'm going to reread this again. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Every day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. I love this because um, the church in this passage was fulfilling Jesus' prayer in John 17 that they would be one, and as a result, that people would believe. Do you see that? They were doing all these that that reflect the fact that they are diverse peoples, speaking different languages, but they are one, and as a result, the Lord was adding to the number those who are being saved. Um, And I want to point out two things about this oneness that I think is is absolutely amazing. Two things, uh, two characteristics of this oneness. The first is found in uh, verse 44, to 45, and that is radical generosity. Radical generosity. Verse 44, now all the believers were together and held all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as any had need. What the early church had was a radical sense of generosity. They were so committed to one another 
so in tune with one another that nobody had needs. Nobody had needs. They would say, wow, this person needs help. So let's all pitch in and help them out. And that's exactly what they would do. And they would follow through. It wasn't just, you know, some pocket change here and there. And they just collect their offerings once, once a week. And, uh, and then they don't really know what happens with the money. But they, they would literally learn about what people's needs were. And they would decide, you know what? You have a lot of needs. I don't have the money to give to you right now. But what, what I do is I have this property. So I'm going to sell my property and then give you the proceeds of the property. You may wonder, what in the world? That is, is ridiculous. Why would anybody do that? Because they genuinely believed that they were one. They were one like the Trinity was one. And being a part of this Trinity-like community meant sacrificing their own personal possessions for the sake of others. They genuinely believed it and they lived it out. So that's the first thing. That I think that's amazing about this passage. They have this radical sense of generosity. And the second thing I want to point out is this early church embodied a radical intimacy, a radical sense of intimacy. Uh, verse 46, every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts. Now, oftentimes when we think about this word church in, in modern today, okay, when we, the modern day church, we often mean one of two things. Either we mean the church, we think of the church as an event or we think of the church as a building, okay? So we might say, what time is church? So when you use that, when you say that sentence, what time is church? You're thinking about the event. Church is at 10 a.m., okay? Or you might say, hey, the church, you know, they, they need some bathroom renovations, okay? So what are you talking? You're talking about the building, okay? So you, oftentimes when we talk about the church, we're talking about the church as an event, or we're talking about the church as a building. But this type of language would be totally foreign to the early church. They didn't think about that way. How do I know? First of all, they didn't view the church as an event because they met every day. You see that, right? They met every day. They devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple. And then later in verse uh, uh, 47, it says, Every day the Lord added to the number of those who were being saved. How is it that God was adding to the number of those who were being saved every day? Because church didn't just meet once a week. They met every day. And so people were being saved every day. Okay? And secondly, they definitely didn't view the church as a building because it says... They devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple and broke bread from house to house. They didn't just meet in religious buildings. They met house to house. And so in their minds, the church is not an event. It's not a building. It's the people that is participating in various events in various places. Right? It wasn't like, this is how a lot of people think about church today. It wasn't like you have this pie chart that makes up your life. And you, you dedicate 5% to this activity and 5% to this activity and 5% to church, okay? I mean, the 5% to church, that's your one or two hours on Sunday morning. That's your church. And after that, you, you compartmentalize, compartmentalize your church there. And then the rest of the week, you do whatever you want. That's not how they understood this. The church, in their minds, embodied the whole pie chart. Everything you did in life, whether it was eating food or picking up your kids or pulling up weeds, whatever you did... That, you did it with the church. That's just how they lived out their life. Now, obviously, we live in a very different time. It's a very different culture. We have different sets of values. You know, I'm not saying every one of you should be hanging out with church people every day. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. But I think there's this principle that we need to have, which is that we need to recover this early church's 
pattern for relational intimacy in that they assumed that life was meant to be lived with the church. So everybody's application will look different. It might look different. You know, some of you all work insane hours because you're in the medical field or something. And so obviously your life's going to look a little bit different than someone, you know, who's, who doesn't work that kind of job. But the principle is the same. And that the church isn't just something you compartmentalize so that you just do church once a week within these few hours at a specific place. But church is something that impacts your whole life. Imagine that the uh, early Christians, they found themselves in a time machine and they traveled to today, to America today, and they get the chance to, you know, see, hey, I wonder how the church has evolved over time. What's it like 2,000 years from now in the wealthiest country in the world? And they would probably be shocked. They'd be like, wait a minute. So you, you have this thing you guys call, this church, the, call the church, uh, and, and your whole church experience is just boiled down to you going to this building once a week, and you hear some music, and you hear someone talk, and you go home. And that's it. That's church. And the only social interaction you have is these two minutes every week where you meet and greet your neighbor. And you say the same line every single time, just with different people. How is that church? You don't even go to people's homes, and you don't even eat together, and you don't... So where's the community? Where's the generosity? How is that church? Do you see the, do you see the, the dichotomy here? What if somebody in your church is in financial need? How would you even know if all you ever do is talk two minutes with one person once a week and talk two minutes with another person another week? How would you even know? What if someone in your church needs prayer? How would you even know that person needs prayer? How would you even get people's prayer requests? Or what if somebody is struggling in their faith and they're thinking about leaving the faith altogether? How would you even know? You see, Christian community solves the loneliness problem, but it is so much more than just addressing loneliness. Christian community is one of the main ways we are formed to be who God created us to be. Because here's the thing, you know, maybe you're here today and you don't have a loneliness problem. Maybe you're fine. Maybe you're more of an introvert anyways and you don't mind being by yourself. In fact, you sort of, you know, this may sound kind of bad, but some of you, you, you sort of like living in the age of a pandemic because you have an excuse to not go out places, right? You know, I relate to that a little bit. I used to jump at opportunities to go out to places, and maybe it's just getting old, maybe it's having kids, I don't know. But a lot of times, people invite me to something, hey, do you want to come over and watch this basketball game? And I would think, do I want to watch this basketball game with my friends, or do I want to of yesterday's game. I'll just stay at home and watch some basketball after yesterday's game. That's what I do, you know? So here's the thing. You know, the, the reason why we build relationships with one another is not just to help lonely people to be less lonely. Okay, the reason why we build relationships with one another is so that we can grow in our faith. If the whole motivation to hang out with so that we'd be less lonely, that's not going to cut it. But as I mentioned earlier, all of the spiritual habits that we engage in are meant to form us to be who God created us to be. And if we want to grow in our love, okay, then it means we need to find people to love. If we want to grow in our service, then we need to find people to serve. If we want to grow in our generosity, we need to find people to be generous with. If we want to grow in our forgiveness, we need to find people to be forgiving, okay? 
We need it. That's what we do in order to grow in those areas. You cannot grow in any of those areas if you're not in relationship with people. Everything is just a theory in your head. So we need real life people that we are building relationships with so that we can live out these virtues that we're supposed to be instilling. All of the things that we are inheriting, that we are uh, uh, adopting through the Spirit as a result of us becoming Christians, all the fruits of the Spirit we're supposed to bear, we are to bear with people, right? You know, the New Testament is filled with these one another commands. What, I'm, what do I mean by this one another commands? Love one another, serve one another, show hospitality to one another, confess your sins to one another, forgive one another, and so on. All of these commands assume you are in relationships with other people in the church. How can you fulfill any of these commands if your church experience is a weekly two-hour time in which you hear this subpar Coldplay experience followed by a subpar TED Talk? You can't, Okay. You can't fulfill any of these one another commands. You know, for, for, you know, for some of you, maybe on paper, you have Christian relationships. You're spending a lot of time hanging out with Christians already. But for whatever reason, those relationships aren't um, holding up spiritually. They're not helping you to grow. So your problem isn't that you don't have relationships. Your problem is that the only kind of relationships you have are shallow relationships. You see, here's the thing. You can spend a whole lot of time with a lot of people, but it can still be shallow. And you can call those hangout relationships. You know what a hangout relationship is? Is you hang out with these people, and all you do is have a good time, and that's it. And it's not bad, of course, to find people to have a good time with. You have a bad day, you hang out with friends, and you feel good, and that's, that's the extent of your relationships. That's not bad. and addresses the loneliness problem. But here's the question. Do these relationships, do your relationships actually help you to grow? Do your relationships actually help you to grow? Because if you don't have any deep relationships, then I think that's a challenge for, one, that for us, that we need to move some of your hangout relationships beyond hangout status into growth status. Now, it's not bad if you want to just relegate some of my relationships or hangout relationships, and we're content with where we're at, and that's okay. But you need some relationships that are not just hangout relationships. All of your relationships can't be hangout relationships. You need to have some relationships where you and the other person mutually agree this is going to be a growth kind of relationship. We need people in our lives where we can spend time with that person and we can genuinely say at the end of the day, you know what, I spent time with this person and as a result, I'm a better version of myself than I was before. We need to have those sort of relationships. So what can we do? Okay, maybe... Um, We've been falling into this church is just a Sunday event kind of mentality. Or maybe we have relationships, but they're kind of shallow. So what can we do? Well, I'm going to just list out a few different things, and some of these will apply to different people. So for some of you, here's a very simple application, okay? Show up to church things besides Sunday service. Show up to church things besides Sunday service, okay? For some of you, that's, that sounds like a ridiculous ask because you, that's— then your whole church experience is all, when you think about church, all you ever do is just show up once in our Sunday service in the church building. And I'm asking you, consider showing up to other church things besides that. You know, as we announced earlier, there's a picnic right after service today. Okay, that's not a huge ask. Okay, you don't like eating, okay? You can still show up. Just show up at a park. It's just a few, few uh, 
a few blocks away. Also, as we announced earlier, there's a, su- a summer community uh, group starting in our church building June 8th, Wednesday nights throughout the summer. That's okay. You, you know, show up to that as well. We have events all the time in our church service. Um, last week, we had a plant swap. Great attendance if you're a woman. Not, it was just Tay and me, you know, as the guys. Okay? And you only stayed for like 10 minutes, okay? <laughs> in a few weeks, uh, we're having a summer retreat. You know, we have men's breakfast once a month. We, once a month. We have events all the time. And so I would encourage you, perhaps show up to things besides just a Sunday service. Okay? Maybe, and this is for others of you, okay? Maybe you just, you show up to these things and you just, it doesn't really click for you. Okay? It doesn't feel all that rewarding for you. Maybe it's kind of exhausting for you to show up to these things and you're not really good in social context and you say hi and you have small talk and, you know, it just doesn't really work. And you probably forget their names anyways by the, by the next day. So that's okay. I still encourage you to show up anyways. But another thing that you can consider doing is try to find regular things to attend. So, for example, usually year-round we have community groups. Community groups are regular things. Okay, and the nature of community groups is you usually see the same people week to week. And so it's okay if you forget their names the first week or two, but after the third week, you've got to start remembering their names, okay? And, um, but what happens is in community groups, there's structured times where you share about your lives, you share prayer requests, you get to know people, and, and, and you don't really have an excuse anymore because you are all together, and, and, and it's, this thing, it's sort of this natural accountability system where if you don't show up, people will know, right? And so I consider going to that. Or if community groups, I know they're taking off over the summer. You, you can do the summer community even if Wednesday night doesn't work out. You can, start, you can join a serving team. You have all sorts of serving teams, and obviously you go to a serving team to serve. But one of the side benefits of joining a serving team is you start to see the same people over and over. And it's the same thing. You are developing relationships with people you're serving. Um, well, well, maybe you're counting, well, I already joined a community group. I'm already on a serving team, but I still don't have great relationships. What should I do? My relationships still feel kind of shallow. Or I still feel kind of lonely. Well, here's the thing. Most of the time, here's a, here's a secret, okay? Most of the time, deep relationships don't spontaneously happen. Deep relationships don't spontaneously happen. And what our church can do all our church can do, our church uh, as an organization can do, is offer you these structures. But it's up to you to actually build the relationships within the structures. Like, we can't, we can't feed your relationships on a, you know, with a silver spoon. We can only provide you with these structures, these places where generally the people who come out have a, the same desire. They want to grow in the relationships. They want to go deeper. But it's up to you to actually take the step to actually do it. You know, we often think of friendships the way we think of um, a romanticized version of marriage, where you, our true love is just walking around somewhere, prancing around with lilies, and uh, we just show up one day, and then we, we see them, and it's love at first sight, and then we just marry each other, and then we, are happily, you know, ha- we're, we live happily ever after. But that's not actually how most marriages and how most relationships and friendships work. You don't often have love at first sight. Okay, I hate to break it to you. You often have infatuation at first sight. 
you often have admiration at first sight, but you don't just neatly fall into a deep relationship. Relationships are often awkward in the beginning. Relationships are often hard to build. And that's especially the case if you're trying to build a relationship uh, with people who are different from you. You may not see eye to eye on things in the beginning. You may not share even the same hobbies or interests or mannerisms or views on life. And so a lot of times when you're trying to build a relationship, it is hard, right? You go into these structures that we have and you, you try to hit it off with someone and you just feel like there's a wall there, a social wall. You don't really know how to move beyond that. And that's, that's real. But I think that's the point. You know, in the Trinity, you have the three persons. They're different from one another, but they're one. In marriage, the bride and the groom, they're different from one another. Opposites attract. They're very different from one another, but they're one. And in the church, the members of the body are very different from one another, but they're supposed to be one. You're not supposed to be clones of one another. You're supposed to be different. But with these different preferences and different desires and different goals and different views, somehow you come together as one. And catch this. It is exactly the differences between you that grow you. The differences of opinions are the thing that grow you. When we are challenged by different views and perspectives, then we learn. Then we grow. Then we are reformed. You know, outside the church, unity is often the result of uniformity. You get people to live the same way. You get people to vote the same way. You get people to act the same way. And then you cancel out everyone who doesn't live that way. And as a result, you have unity. But that's not unity. That's uniformity. That's a superficial sense of unity. In the church, though, unity is actually bringing together diverse people with their diverse perspectives. And they're all committed to putting in the work to build relationships across those differences such that they learn from one another, such that they challenge one another, such that they iron one another out. Iron sharpens another, right? And that is how unity happens. I love this quote. It's from D.A. Carson in his book, Love in Hard Places. He says, The church itself is not made up of natural friends. It is made up of natural enemies. What binds us together is not common education, common race, common income levels, common politics, common nationality, common accents, common job, or anything of the sort. Christians come together not because they form a natural collocation, but because they have been saved by Jesus Christ and owe him a common allegiance. In the light of this common allegiance, in light of the fact that they have all been loved by Jesus himself, they commit themselves to doing what he says, and he commands them to love one another. In this light, they are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. I love that. We are a band of natural enemies who love one another for Jesus' sake. Building relationships takes work. It takes a lot of work. And a lot of times it doesn't seem worth it. Why am I going through all these efforts to get to know these people and they seem like weirdos? And they think I'm a weirdo. We do it because of Jesus. You see, the only reason why we love one another is because Jesus first loved us. The only reason why we commit to one another is because Jesus first committed himself 
to us. The reason why we can make friends of natural enemies is because Jesus first made friends of us who were natural enemies. The only reason why we are to be one body with one another is because Jesus took the initiative first to unite himself with human flesh, and he became one with us. Such that the body of Christ, what we call the church, is Jesus' body. We belong to one another because Jesus chose to belong to us. And we pursue relationships with one another because Jesus pursued a relationship with us. Um, In a moment, we'll be moving into a time of communion. And I'm always astounded by uh, what communion represents. And uh, I've been thinking about this one body language in the Bible. And I think I've mentioned this before in a previous sermon, but this idea of one body, it's used in two different ways in, in the scriptures. One is it's talking about us, the body of Christ. We are one body with many members. Um, but there's also this language at the Last Supper in which Jesus took the bread. He said, this is my body broken for you. Take it and eat it. And it's just such a beautiful picture of the gospel that Jesus' physical body was broken. It was ripped apart. It was separated. It was fragmented so that we who are once divided, once fragmented, once segregated, once isolated, we can come together as one body, the body of Christ. And um, yes, I just encourage you during this communion, just think about that concept. Just think about the fact that Jesus' body was broken so that we would be united. United with God, of course, but united with one another. So um, in a moment, we'll have the worship team come up and sing a song. And during that time, you can feel free to stand up, line up, come to the front, take a communion cup, and then return to your seats. And after that, Pastor Julius, he will come up and lead us to take it together. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this time that you've given us. Um, just to reflect on this glorious truth that uh, we are one. Um, We are united. And um, oftentimes when we think about the gospel, we think about it mainly in terms of our vertical relationship with you, that we are restored to you, we are united with you, reconciled to you, but uh, help us to remember, we are also, there's also this horizontal dynamic that we are united and reconciled to one another. And um, that you don't just call us into a relationship with you, but you call us into a relationship with the church. And it is through that relationship, that oneness, that we grow. Um, and we I got so many of the spiritual disciplines that we think of in life, the things that we do, the habits and rhythms that we participate in so that we can grow. Um, so many of them are just me and God sort of relationships. We fast, and oh, it's just, it's just me and God. We pray, it's just me and God. We read the Bible, it's just me and God. We do all these things, it's just me and God, but God, help us to remember that part of growth involves other people. It involves me and God and other people, that these virtues that you're calling us to, they need to be lived out with other people. So we just pray that you give Help us to think of specific ways in which we can actually grow deeper in our relationships with other people. Help us to get past these social barriers, these, this awkwardness, these uh, 
even political divisions, all these things that potentially divide us and help us to see God has placed me in this person's life so that we can help each other grow. Help us to find those relationships. Help us to read people. Help us to be one. We pray this in Jesus' name.